Hi everybody and welcome to the show. I'm Kevin Hammond. This week I am joined by our second AG's candidate on the Democrat side, Pam Busey. Thanks. And uh, welcome. You've had, let's start at the beginning. Well, you're a lawyer, so I guess that's not really the beginning. But, uh, <laughs> uh, let's, let's start, are, are you a native Montanan or? I am, I'm at least fourth generation, maybe more. I, I grew up in Townsend, Montana. Big town, population 1,200, um, born and raised there, granddaughter of potato farmers. So uh, spent my life um, hardworking, blue-collar stock. My grandparents uh, sold their farm in 72, so my dad did all kinds of things. I have five brothers and sisters, the oh, oldest wow. of those kids. So did all kinds of things Wait, to support us. Wait, you have five us. younger siblings? Yes. There was a lot yes. of torture you got there to do was. as a child. There was. A lot of bossing around. <laughs> and then you became occur. a lawyer. Huh. Uh-huh. Huh. Imagine that. <laughs> anyway, um, great, great life growing up. And partly, you know, we were poor. I don't think I realized we were poor. And I've said this all along on my campaign. Um, didn't have a lot of money, but I lived a half mile from the Missouri River, so could strap a couple logs on a tractor tire and my brothers and sisters and cousins and there was a lot of us because my family my parents both come from big families so there was lots of cousins and um, you know had a great so you're related you know, to the entire town of town exactly <laughs> and had a pretty huckleberry finn kind of life you know we fished and hunted crawdads and asparagus and all kinds of fun stuff uh. so it was a really pretty idyllic nice country growing up um, my parents, though, I would say, um, my dad in high school got a job at a mine in Townsend. So he's a miner. First time my family, um, with all those kids, had health insurance. Ooh, wow. So um, there's probably not anyone in this race more aware of the value of a natural resource extraction job than me. Um, but coming from farmers, and my folks are really very into growing their own food. You know, we had huge gardens. Oh, awesome. um, that we all weeded and we had chickens. And, Not so awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's a lot of work to garden, but you know, it's just it, it really did provide me with a pretty interesting background, I think. And so, and really, um, as far as natural resource development, a pretty good balance. You know, my parents come from being very good stewards of the land, um, but you know, my dad supports family and helped my. You know, he unfortunately didn't get that job till I was late in high school, so wasn't able to help me out very much, but did make a big difference for my younger brothers and sisters and being able to help them out a little bit in college and those kinds of things. So it's made a, you know, and just having health insurance has made a tremendous difference and really did, you know, ratchet my family to the middle class in a, a way that, you know, nothing else could but right. a livable uh, wage. That's, that's, it's such an important thing and people who have never been at that level don't understand it. Yeah. And I grew up middle class and, you know, in Helena and kind of always had my own job, always had my own money and uh, it's not even in my course, you know, I'm never a good example for any of this stuff. I'm always, ah, <laughs> uh, whatever. Um, so how did you decide that you wanted to be a lawyer? Um, it's kind of a funny story, actually. The, there, was only, there's only, there was only one lawyer in Townsend, Montana. And when my, interestingly, when my grandparents were selling their farm, it's the only time I'd ever seen a lawyer or talked to one, but he came out. Lucky you. Yeah, but he came out to, he came out to our house and... I mean, my parents tell the story because we actually became very good friends with this gentleman, country lawyer, in my life. And actually, his son lives here. His son is Bill Hooks, who's, you know, the oh, chief okay. public defender. Um, his name was Pat Hooks. But I shook his hand, and, you know, I got farmer, lumber workers, loggers. Those are my people in my family. And I shook his hand, and he had the softest, uncalloused hand. And I was like, dang, I want that job. <laughs> I, I want to be a lawyer. <laughs> So, and I remember saying it to my dad, and he's like, okay, <laughs> you know, shaking his head, but that's what started, that's really what started me on the path, and then actually I ended up doing a lot of work for Pat and Bill, when Bill graduated from law school, um, Bill was kind of my hero, you know, he was a criminal defense lawyer and really passionate and young, and I, you know, I was pretty inspired by him, so. That's awesome. It turned real after the uncalloused hand. <laughs> so. So did you go to U of M? I did. I that went to U of M. Our law school here in the state. Yes. And um, did you special? I, see, I don't know. Not having been a lawyer myself, just being you know a jerk, um, I, I I understand how the legal system works, but I don't understand how our legal schools work. Mm -hmm. Do you specialize in some way when you're in school, or is it just really? Kind yeah, of, it's, it's a, a Juris pretty, Doctorate, everybody gets the same thing. Yeah, it's a pretty general, you can specialize. I did a lot of work in Indian law. You know, I, I took a lot of classes mm -hmm. in Indian law, did a lot of um, my clinical work on the reservation. I worked on the Confederated Salish and Kootenai Reservation um, while I was in law school. 
Um, but for the most part, you get a pretty basic education, and then you try to get, um, you know, you can take a few specialized classes, but there's not... Um, there's not you know, any specialized not, tracks. Yeah, there's not specialized tracks. That's here, cool. there are in some other states, but there aren't here. The one thing Montana law schools are really famous for, are, or our law school is famous for, is being um, their practical studies. Um, and they travel all around the world talking about the, the practical studies. And in Montana, when you go to law school, you actually go and file a complaint, and you do a direct examination and a cross-examination. They do a lot of things that you're actually going to have to do when you are a lawyer. And mm -hmm. in a lot of law schools, it's, it's all, it's all, it's all the theory. theory of law <laughs> as opposed to the actual practice of law. So, and, you know, I, I think that's great. You know, I think it's helpful when you get out. Yeah, so. I would think it'd be, you know, I, that's like the, an old joke my dad has. Like, yeah, you can study theory because of mechanics in your entire life, but until you've actually put the engine together... You don't know what you're talking yeah. about. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, yeah, great education. I went. My undergrad was at Rocky in Billings. Ah, um, delightful school. It is, yes. I was a very active Methodist girl in our church in Townsend and then did a lot of um, stuff with St. Paul's in Helena. So, very cool. And, yeah, very cool. You know, I've been fans of the Montana Logging and Ballet Company before, since before they were that. So <laughs> that's what got me to Rocky is I thought all those... Yeah, really Rusty cool. Harper is a, a good friend of the family and an awesome guy, and, yeah. and Fitz is hysterical. Yeah, and, and there were all, I knew them, you know, take, go back 25 years is when I knew them, you know, when I was in middle school and high school, and they were all young and played guitar around a campfire. So and were, were recruiting pretty, for Rocky, so I'm not surprised if you knew them. They were pretty inspirational. <laughs> so anyways, that's what drugged me that way. That's very cool. So, what, you know, what's changed in the legal profession in the time that you've been in it? Because if you graduated 20, 25 years ago, a lot's changed as far as I can tell. But how, well, a lot's changed for citizens, but I guess, how yeah. has it changed well, for lawyers? Well, you know, I can tell you about my practice because um, I have really, you know, I, I had a few years in private practice, but the majority of my practice has been as a, you know, public servant. And I started as a deputy county attorney here in Helena. Mm -hmm. And I would say the things that have changed the most don't really have to do with the law. They have to do with um, uh, progress that I think has been made in the criminal justice system mm -hmm. and lack of progress in the civil <laughs> justice system, I would say. Um, in the criminal justice system, I think we've come so far in the past 15 years. Um, and I've talked a lot about this on the campaign trail. Um, when I started as a deputy county attorney, you would have never heard line officers talking about mental health or drug addiction or alcohol addiction. You just wouldn't have because they they weren't trained in that. They you know, it just right. you, they you just might saw have heard everybody as criminals. Exactly. And you might have heard you know, <laughs> but but they wouldn't have recognized they weren't really thinking about the root causes of crime. They were trying to just deal with what was happening before them. Um, and I, I think leadership wasn't very proactive. Um, and that's just absolutely not the case anymore. I mean, you would you will hear line officers talking about it, and um, you will also hear, you know, you've always heard county governments or city governments talking about it mm -hmm. because it's a liability, you know. But now you'll you'll hear them, and and actually, I've asked, you know, in my career, I'll have law enforcement, loads of them, come in and testify um, for alternative treatment courts or mental health courts because they have learned that they don't want someone that's mentally ill or drug addicted in their car and in their jail. Um, they know there's better places for them and they want to make sure, you know, they're the first people to come in now and say, we need the resources in our community to take care of this problem um, because the jail is probably not the best place. And that, you know, I, I think that's incredible progress in the criminal justice arena. Um, civil is. justice arena, not as much, you know, there's <laughs> yeah, just so less and less access to lawyers for low-income Montanans. And that's something I've been really passionate about in my career. You know, I've, I've won several awards for pro bono work that I've done on both the state, from the state bar as well as our local bar here. Um, I've also been on the Board of Legal Services for years, and I was on the state bar, Board of Trustees, and all because of my interest in access to justice oh, for wow. low-income Montanans and have spent, you know, and I was fortunate because Mike McGrath appointed me um, the appointee from the AG's office to the Equal Justice Task Force, and that's what got me started. And so for really a good, you know, 12 years, I've been working very hard on that issue, um, and the progress has been very slow. And, you know, legal services is constantly losing funding, so we have less and less lawyers serving, you know, low-income Montanans, you know, on critical issues like child custody and 
you know, you know, um, foreclosure, and you know, some of the most difficult things that happen in your life. So I'm yeah. pretty passionate about that. And one good bit of news happened this week. We just got an order from the Supreme Court, um, and everybody that does access to justice is very excited because we actually the Equal Justice Task Force was turned into an actual judicial commission, um, and we'll probably have a line budget item. It probably won't be very much, but to really focus. <laughs> With our legislature. Yeah, exactly. Congratulations, you have a line <laughs> you item, have a and line it's item. zero. <laughs> but even that is a step in the right direction and yeah. some acknowledgement of how important it is that folks have access to our court system. So really uh, or excited to a court about system that. that can serve them. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that I find... You know, I, I deal with a bunch of friends in technology, and um, this is kind of off topic, but I deal with them in technology, and um, patent lawsuits are such a mess right now because even if you, you know, are a fairly successful business and you've got a good revenue stream, you can't fight these patent trolls, and it's just astounding what has gone on there. So there, there's definitely some things that need to change on the civil side. Sure. Um, and... Uh, you're running for, is this your first political office that you're running for? It absolutely is. Wow. Um, yeah, and I'm not a bit ashamed about that. Well, no, no. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, I, it's really, I think people have found it refreshing that I am not a career politician, don't intend to be. Um, I am running for this job because I really have spent the past 15 years gathering the relevant experience to do this job. Um, I loved my work at the AG's office. Um, I got to see firsthand the important role that the Attorney General's office plays in the lives of Montanans. And um, and it is the kind of work, you know, it's the access to justice work. It's the reforming the criminal justice system, working with law enforcement, working with Law Enforcement Academy, working on making sure that we have international accreditation at the crime lab so that those scientists have the credibility that they need to take the stand. and you know, be the experts that they are for both the defense and the prosecution. And those kinds of credentials for, for the scientists themselves and the accreditation for the, um, the lab really makes them so much more credible. Now, how big is our crime lab? Um, I think there's probably 120 employees there. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. And is that in Missoula? Mm -hmm. or, okay. Yeah, it's in and Missoula. And it serves the whole state. It does. So see, CSI Miami was just canceled. I'm hoping they'll start a CSI so Montana. Montana, they might. And it's, an, it's, a, it's a relatively new lab. Um, I, it came on, that lab came online when I was at the AG's office. So it's probably only eight or nine years old. Oh, so wow. pretty state-of-the-art. Um, we do have issues with pay, of course, like everywhere in Montana. We, we get these top-notch young scientists and we get them all trained up and, and then, then they, they get, get to go to a, another crime lab that pays more. <laughs> so um, that as, as AG, that is something I'm gonna really work on to make sure they have um, meaningful career ladder opportunities at the crime lab so that we can bring on young scientists, but they want to, they'll wanna stay after we right. get them real trained up and um, we'll get to keep the expertise, so. Yeah. That's one of the things I really care about there. That seems to be a common thread that goes through a lot of uh, Montana is that we, we have a really good education system. We have really good votech systems, even though outside of the colleges, another argument. Um, and we train our people pretty well, and then they leave the state. <laughs> so it's like, you know, we have this great resource. We, yes, we have gold. Yes, we have copper. Yes, we have, well, cyanide. And, um, but it seems that our biggest resources are people and we keep shipping them out. I know because I was one of them. Mm -hmm. And you know, coming back to the state, it's still, it's difficult to make a living here. It is. And you know, and I, there's only so much you can do. And some of that, you know, we need some good growth. We need some private sector growth. Um, but we, you know, we in state government need to really work on how to attract young people. I think it's not a, you know, it's not necessarily a place that beckons to young people at this point. And so, um, we, yeah. need, we need to work on that. And I know, you know, state HR is doing that. Um, DOJ, we haven't had that problem. I mean, we have a great intern um, program, and we get wonderful interns from the law school. And that program was started when I was there under McGrath, and we just get fabulous interns. And a lot of them, you know, several of the interns that worked for me there are now here in Helena, either working at the legislative services or at, at the AG's office. Um, some doing some really great work on um, access to justice issues that they got started at at the AG's office. So, you know, there's there's some great opportunities there. That's to, cool to do that. So you're no longer at the Department of Justice. You are at the Department of Labor. Correct. And what do you do there? Um, you know, prior to running, I was the chief legal counsel for the Department of Labor. I resigned that position to run 
and um, I now serve as the administrative counsel at the Business Standards Division, which is the Business and Occupational Licensing mm -hmm. Division. Um, you know, does all the licensing of plumbers, electricians, doctors, nurses, everything you can imagine. Um, and I've been primarily working on, as we're talking about this, um, a reorganization of that division mm. um, to provide some pretty meaningful career ladder. It's a division that's been plagued with employee morale, um, and it's a regulatory division, so it's already, it's, you know, it's a difficult place to right. work. It's, already, got a lot of, it's already the principal's yes, office. <laughs> yes, it's already a hard place to work, so we are doing a lot of work to make, um, to, you know, balance up workloads. It's myself and um, because I've just done a lot of administrative work and a lot of um, HR law and then an a, um, engineer, for lack of a better word, to do business, to really look at business processes. So it's been a really interesting and, we, and I've been doing that um, the last 18 months or so. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about the non-politics things. What do you do with, with your day when you get a free, you know, seven minutes, I guess, is about all you're going to get right now in a campaign. Yeah, but. exactly. And well, and that's kind of my life anyway. I have three kids, so hmm. they keep me very, very busy. Errol, High school, Emma, middle school? Well, actually, I have a 20-year-old who oh. is in college, um, and then I have a nine-year-old and an eight-year-old. So busy, and um, my... 20-year-old is a music and theater major, and he just took off last week and is working for the Virginia City Players as oh, the nice. musical director. So I've spent a lot of time watching bands and plays with him <laughs> and, you know, baseball and ballet and everything in between with the kids. Um, I am an avid gardener, take after my mother that way. Um, avid kayaker, you know. Love, oh, very cool. Yeah, and um, all my family are boaters. We have, we're all paddlers, even the little kids got their first kayaks for Christmas this year. Oh. Um, and then we're, you know, we're just avid outdoors people. We hunt. We well, you're in the right fish. state for that. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why, I mean, to be honest with you, that's why I, I stayed in Montana because, you know, to be able to, you know, where I live and I actually live in town, which um, I do because I don't want to be driving in and out, you know, otherwise we'd probably live out of town. But, um, you know, in two minutes I'm on Mount Ascension and I can hike you know, with my dog, and we can have chickens in town, and, you know, we can, and I have a big yard and can grow a lot, so it's really a great life, and my family, we do a two to three week hunting camp every year, and with all my brothers and sisters, um, even the ones that don't live here come back with their spouses, and so it's a, you know, wow. it's a really tremendous experience for us, so I love living here, so we, and, you know, we boat, we kayak all summer and camp, and Hike and backpack. Do you ice fish? So no. Because I would hold that. That is the you. one thing. <laughs> okay. I, ever, and as I would a matter, hold it against you because yeah. if you're out ice fishing, the only thing you're going to catch is a fish too stupid to it, not be asleep. Well, my husband at one point told me that if he ever takes up ice fishing, I should know that our marriage is in trouble because it is no, that's much too boring. <laughs> I don't even, I, you know, even fly fishing gets a little. Yeah, but fly sometime. fishing, you can put on a podcast, exactly. listen to something else. And, and it's just pretty, enjoy at least, and you exactly. can move. Uh, yeah, I don't want to sit and freeze. Yeah, so. I, I, last time I went fly fishing, uh, a friend of mine finally figured out that I don't actually put a fly on the end of it. He's like, what are you doing? And I was like, enjoying the yeah. day. Yeah, but no, I mean, that is, that's why I'm here. That's really why I'm running, too. I, you know, I've worked, I've had the great opportunity most of my career, even at the county, to work on access issues, both road access and stream access. Um, spent most of my career at the AG's office defending stream access. Um, got to write the brief that defended the 2001 Roadless Initiative. Mm -hmm. um, I was the co-author of that brief, and we, we actually upheld in the Ninth Circuit the Clinton Roadless Initiative, so incredibly proud of that work. And um, that's the kind of work you get to do at the AG's office, and it's the kind of work I love, um, combining law with policy. You just really can't, when you're kind of a wonk like myself, you really can't, <laughs> you can't ask for more. Um, so that's why I'm doing this. So you're not a career politician, but obviously you are a career lawyer. What are, what are some of the things that have happened in the past that have really, um, I'll give you the positive one first, the positive question. What are the things that you know, have really happened in our legislature or, or in the cities and whatnot that have really impressed you? And I know you were talking about how um, criminal law has, has gotten better, especially the application of the investigative and justice side of it. But what other changes have, have really impressed you? Because then I'm going to ask you what things have just driven you up a wall. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I, I guess what's impressed me is um, the people involved in the system, particularly the criminal justice system, because I did do a lot of criminal prosecution. And then when I wasn't doing prosecution, I was still working on a lot of policy and working at the, I did a lot of training at the academy. So I would say I've, what impressed me is the compassion for crime victims, um, the, the 
accepting the challenges of finding the resources you need to make sure you can do a one-time, one-shop, multidisciplinary um, interview of a child sex crime victim mm. so that they don't ever have to go through that again, um, you know, so that they get a one solid... Do it once, do it right. You know, yeah, a one good solid interview so that those kids aren't re-victimized. Um, you know, watching people who've gone through some of the most horrific, whether it be a tragic tra traffic accident, you know, DUI accident, um, which I've seen way too many of, um, or a sex crime or an assault, but watching them um, make it through this horrible ordeal and come out strong and ready to help someone else, watching some really compassionate law enforcement and victims advocates help these people work through the system. Um, you know, watching judges be incredibly thoughtful about how to sentence people, um, how to look at an individual and make sure that, you know, they're getting the appropriate sentence and that if there are mental health and addiction issues, that's being addressed. Um, those are the things that have impressed me and made me very proud to be a lawyer, um, made me very proud to be a part of this profession, um, particularly coming from where I come from. Um, it's made me really proud of of the work that lawyers can do. And I think, you know, we wouldn't have a lot of things, especially a lot of civil rights and a lot of um, environmental protections were it not for lawyers. And I feel every day of my career that I've gotten to kind of champion those kinds of rights and, you know, love that. I'm very impressed with that part of the work that I've been able to do. Okay, now the other side. <laughs> yeah, the other what side. Part you nuts? The part that drives me nuts is the lack of access, you know, that um, folks who really need to get into the courthouse and settle fundamental disputes that could make their life move forward and be easier have a really hard time and that's incredibly frustrating to me and painful and I think causes, you know, is the root cause of a lot of domestic violence, a lot of alcoholism, a lot of, you know, real expensive social costs because people need to just be able to move through the system and get on with their life and when they're stuck in, you know, some kind of muck, um, yeah, that it really does some significant damage, and it does significant damage to children. Um, so that is something that absolutely drives me crazy. Um, our legislature, the attack on what I see as... Are you going to just stop at our yeah, legislature? Well, so, yeah, that's the easy way. But the last session's just attack, and, and it wasn't even on just public employees. Somehow, you know, the collapse of the economy because of what happened on Wall Street and what was bad behavior by hedge funders and banks became the fault of workers of America. And, you know, I work at the Department of Labor. I spent all of last session working on work comp, unemployment insurance, and, you know, apprenticeship and training. And all of those things were under attack because somehow everybody was out to take advantage of those systems. And having spent a lot of time at call centers listening to people, um, particularly, you know, men in Montana who do not want to be unemployed, you know, men and women in Montana, they just, you know, they were horrified at, at finding themselves in that kind of situation and hearing people say, you know, you got to do more to crack down on these people. We got to cut them off. We've got to, you know, or when we're doing work comp and we have a four-year compromised, you know, four-year study bill that gets killed the second week of the session and the response is let's just eliminate 85% of benefits to injured workers. Um, you know, and I am able to bring out the economist from Moody's to say to talk about unemployment insurance as the best bang for your buck. You know, one dollar of unemployment insurance turns around three times in a in a community. Really? There isn't any, not even the most conservative folks think unemployment insurance is a great idea. And so to hear just the lack of education and the lack of compassion and the lack of knowledge was incredibly painful for me. And as someone who, you know, has scrapped my way um, to where I am today and watched my parents work so hard to, you know, buy their house and, you know, get, provide us a, a decent lifestyle, it was not tolerable to me. And to watch public employees like myself who have given a ton of time um, and effort for very little pay most of my career, um, I had had enough. And I, I want people to talk about government and the important role government can play. And I'm not, you know, this is a soapbox for me. I don't think government can save the world, and I don't think it should save the world, but I think it can and does make people people's lives better. And there are things that government does better than the private sector. Socialist, so, communist, I know, I know. It's crazy, but, you know, there are times and things that, you know, the private sector doesn't want to do. Well, and there are things that the private sector shouldn't be doing. I mean, there's a lot of, um, one of the big things is um, Missouri's having a big problem because 
Our prisons are, is it Missouri? Prisons yeah. are privatized? And Texas, yeah, yeah. A lot, there's a lot of places where their prisons are privatized. You know, and, and in privatizing your prisons, it then becomes this business where if it fails, you're putting people out of work and all this other, it's like, it should have never been privatized because, I'm sorry, the reason they're in jail is because they did a crime against society and society as a whole needs to, to take care it. of it. Absolutely, and it, you know, that that's not a business that should be profitable. Mm -mm. You know, it should, no, and of it course I say the same thing about health care. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, so, yeah. So you're running for the AG's office. I'm going to ask you a couple questions, but I think these, are, are, these aren't really gotchas. Um, they're more, you know they're coming up. Mm -hmm. You've got the, um, the Citizens United mm -hmm. brouhaha yes. uh, that's coming up. And I know you wrote um, the, what you were saying earlier with the brief that you wrote that went before the Ninth Circuit. Um, would this be the first thing that you'd handle before the Supreme Court? Um, well, I've, I've actually done quite a few cases in front of the Montana Supreme Court. I mean, I, I, I you know, okay. yeah, I've argued, I, I think of every candidate, I've spent a lot of time in the courtroom. You know, I've argued in almost every district court in the state. I've argued in front of the Montana Supreme Court and the Ninth Circuit. Um, I've not argued in front of the United States Supreme Court, but have no problem doing it and would love doing it uh, on this subject um, because... Uh, you know, the, the first I the trilogy. Greatest, yeah. I have the greatest line for you, but go the ahead. The first trilogy of Citizens United, you know, Attorney General Bullock has done a fabulous job setting us up and Frightened. I think has, has laid the foundation of evidence to really demonstrate the compelling need for our Anti-Corrupt Practices Act. Um, and I think when people hear the kind of evidence that Montana has had in the past where we have absolute evidence that people have bought, bullied, and, yeah, you know. Yeah, it's how we have the Capitol in Helena. Exactly. I mean, clear. right, right. <laughs> we so have a big old building we can point to. And, I, you know, and a whole bunch of other buildings all over the state I think we could point to as well. <laughs> so I think, you know, and, and just the fact that the court said they, they are willing to take another look at it, great news for us. What will come of that, you know, it's hard to predict. I'm hopeful that at least they're going to say corporations have less rights than us individuals. But regardless, you know, that's a trilogy. There's two other cases coming up right behind that in, in federal district court. Those Western Trades Partnership has also challenged our disclosure limits, and they've challenged our spending caps. Yeah. Um, so to me, the idea, those are even more scary, because the idea that corporations are going to come here and spend unlimited amounts of money, and then that coupled with the fact that we might not be able to tell people who they are, um, is terrifying. Okay, so that, that part right there, that not be able to tell them who they are, that's the part where I think that on, and, and I'm hopeful on this, I have great hopes for the Supreme Court that they'll stand up and do the right thing, but I'm not holding my breath either. But the one judge that I think that most people think can't be moved is the one that could be moved the most, and that's Scalia, mm -hmm. because of a comment that he made about uh, dis donation disclosures um, four years ago? Mm-hmm with the main case yes, for, exactly. uh, against the National Organization of Marriage, his, his statement was, you know, um, democracy takes a certain amount of courage. And, I, and nobody's thrown that back up to him and said, you know, you're the one who said this, mm -hmm. and this is why it has to be this way. And he's brought that up again in the context of PACs, so I think there'll be an opportunity to throw that in his face. And, you know, I, I don't right. I mean, I remember it vaguely, but I do think there's going to be an opportunity to bring that up, um, and I'm real hopeful on those things, very hopeful that we'll win those cases, um, that we'll be able to limit corporate rights to ensure that me too. Montana I mean, voters, I mean, you know, I just, it, to me it's unfathomable that the courts would not see that. So I, that's the kind of experience, and I really worked hard to gather experience so that I would feel confident to walk into the United States Supreme Court and make that argument, and I feel that I have. You know, I, I've spent the past 16 years making all kinds of arguments on cases I like or don't like um, to, to ensure that I would, you know, have the skills necessary to do that kind of work. So that brings up another question. This is something I ask a lot of my friends who are lawyers, of which I have many, so I'm not sure what the universe <laughs> is expecting me to do later on, but I know a lot of lawyers. Um, <laughs> how do you deal with uh, either defending or prosecuting a case you don't believe in? Mm -hmm. You know, how, how do you separate your personal beliefs from that, or do you? No, you do. I, you know, I, I have been really fortunate that I have had so many cases where I didn't have to do that, where I was, you know, I believed it to my core, so it was easy. Those are, and those are good cases. Those are cases you love, you know, that you work like a dog to win because, you know, you really do believe in them. 
you know, the prohibition against game farms. There were some great cases that I've gotten to do school pro, funding. Pro, yeah, the constitutional that. challenge, um, the citizens of Montana passed an initiative that said you can't cage and shoot elk. And um, <laughs> of course you can't. <laughs> and um, the, that was challenged for years, years and years. I mean, both on liability and takings, but it was a great case for me. I learned a lot, but it's one of those things where it was not hard to stand up and make an argument. School funding, not hard to stand up and make an argument, you know, in support of school funding. So Yeah, and um, what kills me about the school funding argument is nobody's made the argument of just pointing to Tim Ravendahl and going, ta-da, this is what happens when you don't fund schools. Uh, I'm sorry, was yeah, that me? No, anyway, <laughs> anyway, you said that. But, right, um, my show, I can yeah, say these things. Exactly. I, I went to lunch with them. I think that, you know, and here's the thing, like, um, there's many people, when you're talking about education, there's many people that I've met that are on the other side of most of these issues for me, and I look at them, and I know for a fact the reason they're on the other side is because they've never faced anything that's challenged that belief. And as soon as they truly have to face one of those things that challenges their, the core of that belief, they'll educate themselves, because they're not stupid people, but they're lazy. They haven't gone out to get the education that's involved with it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's where I stand on those things. Yeah. So, sorry, threw that in there. No, great. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and, and, but I think you're right. I mean, I, I think that a lot of the time, you, I've been fortunate that most of my cases I, I have personally believed, you know, as a prosecutor, you're sort of the white hat gal, you know, you, <laughs> and you have a lot of discretion besides that. So if there's weaknesses in your case, you know it. I mean, you, you have a lot more control. So I've always appreciated that, and I've always recognized that. I've always recognized that it's harder to be a criminal defense attorney because you don't, you know, you don't have as much control. The case comes from the state, and, and so you sort of start it. So I've been lucky that way, but I have had cases. I, I defended the, you know, I don't know if you remember the 2006 cycle um, where we had the balanced budget initiative. Um, I had just moved back, and that was yeah. my, what's interesting about 2006. It's kind of a blur. But, um, I moved back. I was looking for a job and actually met John Tester at an airport. Um, flying out, which is, you know, he's mm -hmm. running a campaign, and that's kind of where, I, you know, politics is happening in Montana, and started looking at it again, and I don't remember a lot of what happened, but I remember, that was really the point where I was going, I don't remember it being this contentious, and then I've watched it get worse every mm -hmm. year since, and yeah. I'm like, this wow. can't happen. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that was, there was three, there was balanced budget initiative, eminent domain, I don't know, it was a trilogy, and they, their symbol was a big pink pig, and it went all around the state, and, um, but the balanced budget initiative, I knew a lot about. I had a lot of friends in, in Colorado at the AG's office, and it had nearly strangled their state government. I mean, it had nearly shut down. Um, they had passed the, the uh, SABER, uh, SOS, or something. I can't remember what it was called, its acronym, but it had really crucified their state government to the point where the citizens repealed, you know, the citizens right. by initiative repealed their own initiative. So it was great. So we were trying to talk about that, but it was my job to defend those that those initiatives, you know, the ballot language, all of those things. And so it was the first time I'd really had to stand up for something that I, you know, personally, I really, I personally went, wondered if it was going to be disastrous for Montana, but, but I did it. I got up in district court and in the Supreme Court and I made an argument defending the initiative process and the people's right to initiative process. So there was certainly an argument and it was a good argument. It's a good argument to be made. People have the right to do that. And it's one of the very unique things about Montana's um, legislative system, and I, I believe strongly in it. So um, no, I found I, I disagree with it. But. Yeah, I, well, I, I found <laughs> I at least an argument I've... that I felt strongly and, and that was a legitimate argument yeah. to make to support those initiatives. Yeah, so. when I, when I was and you know having grown up in Montana, we had a lot of citizens' initiatives when I was growing up, and I, I remember some of them being good, some of them being bad. Um, most of them, the results from them though, have been less than stellar. Um, and it then, you know, having lived in California, when Prop 8 passed, delightful, um, that's really kind of sealed the deal for me because I, I, I think that it's better that we have uh, a layer of uh, a buffer between the mob mentality of people that are pissed off at whatever's going on right now and they're, they're going to vote about this mm -hmm. and they're angry. And I think it's better that we, you know, vote for people that you think are going to vote and get in there and let the process work itself out rather than circumventing it with a citizen's initiative because you end up with some really crazy things. I mean, we've got a constitutional amendment from 2004 that I absolutely despise um, that was a citizen's initiative. And uh, it's completely contrary to Montanans. Even if they don't like the people that it involves, mm -hmm. it's completely contrary to how Montanans as individuals treat other Montanans as individuals. So um, 
I honestly think that the initiative process needs to go away. But there you go. And, and you had That's to defend it. That's the beauty of it. it. I yeah, had to defend, and not only did I have to defend it, but I had to defend some initiatives that were very controversial. And that, um, actually, in the end, what was interesting about that is I defended these all these ballot all the ballot language and their ability to do it, and then fraudulent signature gathering occurred, and I had to prosecute the fraudulent signature gathering, and those they all ended up getting thrown off the ballot anyway because <laughs> we were able to demonstrate that fraudulent signature gathering had occurred. So it was just a, you know, it really does show you the really dynamic and variety of work that's done at the Attorney General's office. <laughs> there, there is a lot done in the Attorney General's office. So the other thing, the Attorney General is one of the, is it eight seats on the land board? Or five? No, five. 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 All the, all the top elected officials. Yeah, so the land board is the other thing that the AG does. And then you've also got um, licensing. Motor so, vehicle licensing. Mm -hmm. Which, how did that happen? Is that normal? Uh, no, it is in most states. It's a part of, of, and partly because a lot of the systems for the, uh, most people have the state patrol and, you know, ah. so that connection has always been made in states. So a lot of states have the motor vehicle. Um, registration. Hmm. I just got my <laughs> I just got my driver's license in Montana. Hmm. Um, don't turn me in. Um, <laughs> but it, and I, I, I didn't know where the um, licensing station was because last time I got my license in Montana it was at the Civic Center. <laughs> so, oh really? I'm like, where is it? They're so like, we're behind Walmart. Why? But then you know I, I forgot it. They only take cash, which I don't know why. But then I realized, you know, so I went over to Walmart and buy some water, get some cash. And as I was leaving, I was like, well, the reason they're here is because you can just drive up and down the aisles in the parking lot of Walmart. And if you don't hit a car or a pedestrian, you get a license. <laughs> well, that, I don't know if that was the theory behind it, but I do remember them moving out there. <laughs> so I thought, it, I think it had to do with cheap office space, really. But <laughs> Well, and it's not a bad place to put it. Yeah. It's just not an obvious yeah. place either. And, yeah. you know, when you're, when you're moving back and yeah. you're, you're expecting things, like things don't change. And yet, it's all different. And you know, one of the big differences that we have now is the new wonderful bridge over at Custer, uh, mm -hmm. which just opened, uh, which is fantastic. I yeah. drove over it. I was like, wow. Yeah. It's like living in a big That's city. Been, being here. Well, we've been talking about that. So they were doing EISs on that when I was at the county 15 years ago. So it's taken a long time to get that bridge oh. over Custer. But yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. And then um, Benton no longer ends at Custer. <laughs> I was driving down Benton one day, and I, I'm talking on my phone. This was before the cell phone ban, and this, this was actually 2006. I'm talking to a friend of mine who grew up here, and I'm driving, and I think I'll get to Custer. I'll be forced to turn because it ends. Uh, it doesn't end. I keep going, and all of a sudden, I have no idea where I am. I'm talking to my friend, and I'm like, I don't know where I am. She goes, what does it look like? I said, it looks tacky and under construction. She goes, how'd you get to Billings? <laughs> uh, yeah, I love my town, yeah. and all the people yes. in Billings, we love yes. you too. Yes. Um, so... What else do you have? What would you be if you weren't a lawyer? You know. I mean, other than a mom. A farmer, which, probably. Really? I'd probably be a farmer if I wasn't a lawyer. Yeah. That, that would be, you know, I, I, I love, I, and maybe I love the idea of that. I get sad when hail destroys my tomatoes, so I can't imagine if a storm destroyed an entire crop or something. Or <laughs> you know, or... but I, I love growing things and. You know, I love working in the dirt, so I'd probably be a farmer. Huh. But I love being a lawyer. I wouldn't change it for the world. You know, I've loved the work I've been able to do and um, want to continue doing. You know, I really, it sounds cheesy, but I, I, want, I became a lawyer because I wanted to help people, and I feel like I've been able to do that, and I want to continue to do that. No, so. I think that's a great thing. So you're, obviously we're coming up on the uh, primary deadline, and this is... Uh, when you find out, and it's just you and Jesse on the Democrat side, mm -hmm. right? And then, what do you do? Okay, we're going to do the hypotheticals again, and um, we'll just we'll do the negative first and get it out of the way. What do you do if you don't make it through the primary? Do you, do you get a nap? I, yeah, I take a nap. I take it easy. Spend some time with my family because I've missed them very much over the last year. Um, been traveling a lot and doing a lot of call time. You know, raising money. So I'll be glad to. Um, spend some time with them, but I'll, you know, I'll continue to do work. Um, I don't know, um, you know, I'm not sure what, but it'll, I'll, I'll always do sort of the work of the people. I'll continue to do that because I like it. It's, you know, it, it's meaningful, and I wish it was as respected as it was when John F. Kennedy was around. Um, but I think it can get there. Yeah, well, I think it can too. And I, I'm gonna, and I'm gonna be talking about that no yeah. matter what, whether I get elected or not. I'm gonna be talking about the good work that's done by a lot of. Um, folks in nonprofits and the government, and you know that's always going to be the kind of work I do. And then June six hits, and you've made it through. Then what? 
things just go nuts in your campaign and they do and I get ready you to send take a thank on. you card to your kids and you'll see them in November <laughs> yeah and they'll walk in a lot of parades with me this summer and <laughs> throw a lot of candy and that kind of thing but though you know actually I'll be glad because they're you know in a primary there's not a dramatic difference in philosophies you know I've really ran on experience and that's what I've been talking about and I think that's what separates me from my primary opponent um, but there are some very dramatic differences in philosophy um, between myself and either Republican opponent. There are um, two? Yeah, there's two, Jim Shockley and Tim Fox. Oh, Jim Shockley. Yeah. So there's one on the Republican side. Yeah. And <laughs> I know Jim, yeah, he knows my yeah. mom. I'm sure yeah, I'm gonna get yeah. an email. Uh, <laughs> yeah. What were you thinking? Um, yeah, there are a lot of differences. So uh, what was I gonna ask? I'm the worst interviewer ever, I'm sorry. Um, oh, I know what it was, because you, you mentioned farmers, and um, I actually was hired by CNBC to go up and talk to a couple of ranchers, related industry, not the same, and I do know that, <laughs> <laughs> the whole other discussion, mm -hmm. um, about uh, the MF Global uh, collapse, and John Corzine, and the whole mess that went on there, and what's gone on with Montanans. What I haven't heard is anything that's come out of the AG's office in Montana about that. Would we have any ability to do anything for them? You know, I, I'm not. I'm not sure. I, you know, I, I don't know enough about that issue to be sure. I know though that Steve has been um, diligent about bringing on a farm and ranch specialist, and that person has primarily been focusing on railroads. You know, monopoly railroads because we really are at such a disadvantage here of getting our crops to market and it puts our farmers and ranchers at a tremendous disadvantage mm. from other folks. So I know, you know, that's a pretty big issue for me. I come from farmers, um, right. they're my people, <laughs> you know, and I, so I, you know, I think it's worth looking into and the, the wonderful thing that the Attorney General's office has is the Office of Consumer Protection and the farm and ranch person runs out of there. Um, so that would be something where I think it would be worth exploring what's happening in Oklahoma and Kansas and those other really uh, farm states, agricultural states, because you're so powerful. We are so much more powerful when we join with other states to really look into those kinds of issues, the, those cross-the-country issues, mm -hmm. to see if there's um, a consumer protection violation that has occurred and if it has to join forces and, and do some work on behalf of a bunch of states because it just makes it so much more powerful and you're able to do so much more. Right. Um, so the, the AG's office actually does that in a lot of cases that combine with other states mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. well, there's 22 states that are following along with us on the um, Citizens United, but then there's the, we didn't join in with the 31 other states that are fighting Obamacare. Um. <laughs> yeah, and I, you know, I'd like to, I, I think this is important to talk about because I have found it very interesting, and I don't know if you got to look at, you know, both I think the Trib and the Gazette have done, you know, uh, interviews of all four of us. Profiles. Yeah, profiles. Mm -hmm. And um, if you look at both the Republican candidates' answers, when, when we talk about Citizens United, they both acknowledge, well, it's up to the courts to decide the constitutionality of Citizens United and our Anti-Corrupt Practices Act. And interestingly, though, when it comes to Obamacare, they have both deemed ahead of time um, as executive branch officers that it's unconstitutional. And I, you know, I, I find it very um, hypocritical, if you will, because as the AG, you don't get to deem anything unconstitutional. You know, you're the people's lawyer. You're there to defend the laws passed by the, the people and whether you like them or not. And as you know, a lot of unconstitutional laws roll out of the Montana legislature, and we still have to attempt to defend them, um, at least parts of them. And so I just find it very interesting when I read, you know, in one question, they're, they're very correctly the acknowledging the role of the courts. And then one question later, they're um, incorrectly asserting a role that they don't have. Um, so I think that's important, and I think it, it's a distinction because um, Steve is defending a law, a Montana law, in um, the Citizens United case. Um, what they wanted us to do in Obamacare is they wanted to actively go out and strike down a law passed by the people. And, you know, I don't have an opinion one way or the other about whether Obamacare is a good law or a bad law. The fact of the matter is, a majority of Congress thought it was at one point and passed it. And um, so it does need to go through the process of being determined, you know, of being determined 
the, uh, having the constitutionality determined. And that's not, you know, to, if someone, if an AG was to say, I'm going to take a law passed by the Montana legislature and strike it down as, un, you know, deem it unconstitutional and not defend it, you know, people would be outraged. So I think, I think it's important, and you know, and people like you can do a really good job to educate folks. There no, is I can't. A, I there is a distinction. <laughs> there is a huge distinction, I think, between defending a law and actively moving, or proactively moving to strike one down, um, and that's something very new, um, and that that's a very overtly political act. It's very contrary to the role of the AG's office, and I think in the end. Would, would hurt and will hurt the credibility of those attorneys general's office because that's not what AGs generally do. Well, and that's, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I've wondered, but I've also wondered the whole, um, I don't understand how the House, separate from the Senate, is able to defend DOMA because last time I checked, it takes both houses to appropriate money for anything. And yet one house has decided, you know, the house itself has said, well, we're going to do this. And the Senate is saying, no, we're not. And yet they're allowed to. So there's a lot of things that are going on right now. I'm going, you know, my civics class, I remember mm -hmm. sleeping through some of them, but. <laughs> I think I remember this, yeah. Yeah, I, I so. seem to remember that both those two bodies have to work together as the branch yeah. uh, to get things done. So there's a lot of interesting things that go on. And if you get the AG's position, you're going to be in a position to be yelled at a lot by our legislature, our infamous legislature, mm -hmm. which hopefully this next season will move in a different direction than it moved last time, because last time it hit rock bottom and decided to dig with shovels. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> how are you going to deal with um, people who, what's a nice way to put this? People who from the get-go consider you a leech, a drain on society. Mm -hmm. And you know that I, I just for the record, I have been doing that kind of work. I mean, I have been spearheading the department's legislation. I've been doing this kind of work for well, ever <laughs> fifteen years. So um, I'm used to that. It has gotten a lot worse. Um, but I would say last session I got to work on work comp reform, and as I told you. Um, that bill, there was a four-year study, you know, a governor-appointed study and a compromise labor management, and they had come up with a compromise bill. They brought it in through an interim committee, and in two weeks, the Republican majority killed that bill and put forth another bill that essentially just eliminated benefits, didn't do any reform work, just eliminated benefits. And it was at that point that I was hired by Governor Schweitzer to come in and try to help negotiate back in some benefits and really do some, get some of the reforms that that, you know, they had spent a lot of time learning what the cost drivers were and how they could do some real reform. So I was able to join forces with organized and unorganized labor and you know even people like the Chamber of Commerce who really did want, they wanted some work comp reform. They cared, they knew their membership cared, yeah. they knew small businesses wanted that to happen. So you know I've had a lot of experience reaching across the aisle and the fact of the matter is even in that craziness and it was bad crap crazy as my <laughs> dear boss always says. Um, uh, those are the terms he uses yeah. unless the camera's there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I appreciate it because I do think I, I think it's true. But even in those kinds of times, real work can get done, and I think it's time for reasonable voices to unite. Um, and I, I I saw it. I saw people who didn't agree. I wouldn't agree with me on a lot of things, but they were able to sit down at a table and really hash through. And that is work comp is one of the wonkiest technical bodies of law and medicine I've ever been a part of, but we, but we did it. And everyone, you know, only one person voted against that bill in the end. So it can be done. It's hard. It's tedious. It requires patience. Um, but I can do it. And I want to do it. And I think it's worth doing to get, you know, to get legitimate, substantive work done for the people. And I think it, it can happen. It's so, just hard. <laughs> it, it is hard. And I, I will be the first to admit that I am a flaming prick when it comes to politics, and I start to yell at people. Probably not the most effective use of my time. Um, <laughs> and uh, there was a time when no Republicans would come on my show because they were scared that I was just going to tar and feather them. And you know, part of the reason that I wanted to do the show is to give everybody a human face because, yes, we all have our beliefs, and some of us stick to them religiously, and some of us can bend, and you know, some of us can learn and, and evolve and change our positions. I think that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. um, but if we can't communicate, it doesn't matter. Right. So you know, thank you very much for coming yeah. on the show. Let's go over some of the basic ways yeah. that people can get in touch with you. You have your website. I do. It's which Pam is, Busey, B-U-C-Y dot com. And you're on Facebook. 
All over Facebook. We so love Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Pam Busey. Yes. And then you're on Twitter as well. Yes. Is it Pam Busey? Mm -hmm. <laughs> awesome. Yes. That's the great Very, thing about having a good yeah, name. Yeah, it is. It's, it's really a good thing about having a short name, I think. <laughs> it's <laughs> easy got to do that. Yeah. Characters. Exactly. It's easy Your to do that. Last name is Schwarzenegger. It's going to yeah. be a while. Yes. And then um, you've got an ActBlue page. Do. So we mm -hmm. can, and you can link to that directly from my website, or you can go cool. to ActBlue, either one. So we'll put a link in so, to all of that. And anything else you want to tell the people at home or in their cars or wherever they are listening to this? No, I just this has been a wonderful opportunity. I, you know, it really does, and it should tell everyone um, this is a wonderful state we live in. That a dirt farmer from Townsend can be a viable candidate for attorney general. Um, I think it does say a lot about the people of Montana. I think it says a lot about our system. Um, we could go on and on and have a whole other show when I'm done about campaign finance reform, but oh, and, um, <laughs> and can we also can we also discuss liquor licenses, House Bill 516, yes. and um, what's the other one that I always harp on? Uh, oh, there's something that always yeah. gets up. <laughs> I'd love to talk to, about all those things because I've learned a lot about those things um, in this process. But I have really enjoyed meeting people. I've enjoyed talking about the office. I've enjoyed, um, you know, really getting to talk about why I'm doing, you know, why I would embark on such a crazy adventure. And I think it's been appealing to people. I've had a really good, very grassroots response. I have 1,004 Montana donations. So, you know, which is nice. pretty incredible for a tier B um, candidate. So Very nice. Okay, thanks. so uh, thanks again for coming on the show. It's been awesome having you here. Um, I do have one other invitation to extend to you, and feel free to say no if you want to, but I want to have a round table I'm thinking of having it either at the brewery or the ice cream parlor, or maybe at a combination of the two, because beer and ice cream yeah, is always Yeah, they a good go thing. together. Um, just talking about candidates after the primary's over, and we know who's running everywhere. Um, however it turns out, and I wish you all the best, I like both you and Jesse, so I'm having the worst time. Yeah, so like, I know. <laughs> uh, it's yeah, the worst. It is. Um, but you know what? It's, it's, it's a hard decision to make, but it's, one of, it's such a great position to be in as a citizen to go, I have to choose between great people, and <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, so, no, we're lucky. Um, so I'd like to have you back for the roundtable if you're available. Sure. Um, it'll just be a discussion so we can literally, and that's where we get to dish on people. So. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'd love that. So be happy to. Very cool. Well, thank you very much for joining me, and we'll see everybody next week. Thanks. That was fun.